Jason, as it is each and every week, the Lee Summit Town Hall Podcast is brought to the good people by Budget Blinds of Lee Summit. Budget Blinds! It is still October, and October is safety month in the window treatment world. And you know what that means, Nick. All hail our robot shade overlords. All hail! So, just keep that in mind. Alright, so, automated shades... It's a fancy thing. You can get a safer environment for your pets and your kids. You can save on money by having your programmable. Not only are they automated, they're programmable. So you can operate them from your phone or program them to go up and down. So you can save heating and cooling costs and only use them up or down when you need them to give you the best energy efficiency for your home. It makes life better. So make everyday life just a little bit easier, safer, and more secure. Go visit our friends at Budget Blinds right in the heart of Lee Summit in downtown. So I'm Jason and Nick sent you. Hello and welcome to this Friday conversation edition of the Lee Summit Town Hall podcast. I am Nick Parker from Link to Lee Summit. And with me today is one of my new friends, Bill Keith. Bill, welcome to the show. Or, you know, wake up, Bill. It's time for a show. Mm, sorry about that, Nick. <laughs> well, no, I, thank you for having me. I've, I know I've, I've been called boring a little bit before, but oh, we try not boy. to be. Bill, I have just gotten to know you in the past two or three months. You are a fellow Bridge Space member. You operate your business, Money Mailer, out of here. I have been curious as we've gotten to know each other because sales and marketing is not your background. No. You are... Um, you are a uh, pharmacist, a scientist by trade. So I'm curious, why the heck would you go from being a science nerd <laughs> to a guy that makes sales calls? Well, what got me started in science was my career before I was a pharmacist. Uh-oh. He came with props, guys. Yeah. <laughs> it's not going to fit. Sure. Sure it's, it is. It's not going to fit. Sure it is. <laughs> Child of the 60s, born in 1962, right? Yeah, that's not going to work. work so well when you, when you got that down. <laughs> but yeah, astronaut first, pharmacist second, and uh, now with Money Mailer. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna say the the astronaut part is probably all about being a, a kid of the '60s, it right? Is. Born in 1962, and you can't imagine how big that that moon landing was. <laughs> if you weren't there to see it, I was. Uh, let's see, in July of 1969, I would have been six years old. Yeah. What is going on with this headphone? <laughs> well, you know, okay, I'm an old I'm an old newspaper guy. Yeah. And I collect old front pages and newspapers. So I have two different, um, I'm, I'm going to stop it because I'm really, I, look, I'm going to go to the wide shot here and we're going to put this on YouTube for everybody to see oh, you. That's good. That's good. Um, as you now flip it. Nope. You had it. You had it. Now flip the ear. Oh, there you go. There we go. There you go. You see, I'm spatially for a guy that used to be uh, in space. I'm spatially challenged sometimes. <laughs> yeah. So, so I collect not an engineer, right? <laughs> I collect newspapers, so I have two different front pages from the moon landing, and they are a part of my prized possessions in my in my collection yes. of of big front pages. I also, because I know where you're from, I'm going to tell you, I also have the front of the Kansas City Times. From October of 1985. I didn't know there was a Kansas City Times. It used to, it, yeah. yes, yeah. It, it used to be two papers. Oh. There was the uh, the Times, Times and, and the Star, Star. Yep. and they merged the. I believe it was the late 80s when they when they merged the two editions. Yeah. So it was a morning edition and a, an afternoon yeah, I edition. To, yeah, I used to throw those newspapers as a kid, and there was the Globe Democrat, which came out in the morning, and uh, you know, so I'd get up at five in the morning or so or four. And go out throwing papers, so it's there for people at six in the morning. And then the afternoon edition was the Post Dispatch, and then they merged, right? And the Globe shut down. Yeah. So if you ever want to be reminded of the glorious fall of 1985, when when my Royals, yeah, defeated your St. Louis Cardinals. End end of interview. (laughs) (laughs) 
that well, that, uh, that moon landing paper. I don't know if the Royals one is down there, but the moon landing paper is also in the in the restaurant at one of my advertisers, a neighborhood cafe. It is. It if is. If you've never been in there, it is. I think it's a historic place, isn't it? National historic place. If it's not, it should be. Yeah, it should be. And, <laughs> and I'm going to tell you, and I'm hoping that the owner Tony Olson is listening. Yes. I was an editor at the Lee Summit Journal for a very long time, and it still pains me that none of my front pages are on that wall. Well, that says more about you than it does Tony. Well, I don't know. <laughs> I, I think Tony can fix that for me, and I had some good ones. I had some good and, and, and here, we're gonna. this show's really going to be about you today, but I'm going to make it about me for just one, one sure, more minute. Sure. One of my proudest days as a, as a journalist was here at the Journal. Um, I designed the front page on September 11th, 2001. Oh, my. And so, I mean, if any of them, come on, that should be up there. That should be. Um, that was kidding. That is, uh, it was a, a, a horrible day in our nation, but but, but one of uh, my proudest days in the business to have, to have sure. helped tell that story and tell the story of how we reacted in this community uh, on that day. Yeah, because it was a global event, but the globe was made up of local communities. Yeah. So that's, that's very important, I think. Yeah, so... It started off with me wanting to tease Tony, and now we're get, now we got serious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I even got a little emotional there for a second. Um, I I really do kind of I I've enjoyed getting to know you, but I I've wanted to pick your brain a little bit about this because you have a long career as a pharmacist, and and some of the things I've learned, it, you've some interesting things. You worked with the the U.S. Olympic Committee, um, as a as a pharmacist. How do you change careers? Because that is a very you know right side of the brain to the left side of the brain mm-hmm. to go from working in, in, in pharmaceuticals to, to being a marketing specialist. How did, how did that happen? Uh, there, was a, there was several things. Uh, first of all, I, I'd done it for so long, and because the last six years of my working career was spent at home and I had no gasoline expense, no work wardrobe expense, no eating out expense, able to, and got paid as a pharmacist gets paid, and so I was able to save a lot of money. I made a couple of really lousy investments, so don't get me <laughs> wrong, but I made many more good ones, and I got started early. And there's several financial planners and advisors in this building here at Bridge Space, which is a wonderful space, by the way. And uh, will, we, tr- we, will, try, we try not to uh, give Ben Rayo, the owner, compliments during the show. <laughs> it's, it's kind of a rule, and I realize you knew, so I'm just going to let it out there. We say one nice thing about Bridge Space's show. That's it. I've already complimented him today. I've already complimented him today, in fact. They're having a memorial service here, and then through one of my other businesses that stemmed off of Money Mailer in this new career, I'm, I'm producing two television shows here at Bridge Space. So you've got one end of the spectrum being a memorial service, ultra serious, ultra sad, and we've got a costume party, live, filmed before a live studio audience production of two television shows, one-hour shows. So you've got extreme hilarity and fun on one end and you've got a memorial service on the other this building is really diverse but i found out they don't do weddings that's not that's 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 true Hmm. yeah well so 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 how did you how did you make that that kind of that transition because it is it's a big transition it wasn't just finances it was i had done it for so long and i didn't want to die as bill the pharmacist and uh, so I decided, okay, let's do something that is fun. I've now got the assets, but the real trigger point, and it was an absolute trigger, and it turned out, at first it, I thought it was the worst thing to ever happen to me, and it turned out to be the best thing, and that's that I was diagnosed as bipolar, and I went full manic for the first time ever on my birthday in uh, 19, or excuse me, 2016, so I was 54 years old, and it was a family disagreement, and I went ballistic. And I was in full mania for three full weeks. Uh, I mean, probably uh, that's a 10. That's 10 on a 10 scale. Zeros being institutionalized or having the, you know, the gun pointed at your temple. And I went there, too, uh, eventually. But uh, at, at the 10 level, I was there for three weeks for sure. And then more of a, at a 9 level, I was probably there for three months. And over that three weeks, I slept an average of an hour a night. Was this was this was this a new thing in your life that that developed <laughs> later? Is this something? And, and I'm gonna I'm gonna pause really quickly because we didn't plan on going the, going this way. But no, right. but one thing I've learned doing this show over the last few years is, is is I've met people that talk about and are experts in mental health, and that it is important that we have these conversations and that we put it out there that we have to talk about it and we have to remove the stigmas. So so while I have no expertise, I do I mean I do 
I do have questions. Is is this mm-hmm. is this a new thing? Was this something you kind yeah. of had dealt with? Yes and no. Um, I had gotten diagnosed with depression, which was a misdiagnosis and a bad misdiagnosis in 1994. And I went into an internist for a, I don't know, a sprained ankle or something. It was a physical thing. And I'm a pharmacist, and so and I was working in poison control at the time. And so I knew this uh, this physician that was there at the hospital where we were based. And I went into him and said, uh, you know, I've, I've got all these symptoms. It was a Zoloft ad. And I looked, I said, I've got all these symptoms. Well, I did. I didn't know I had all the other ones, too, that went on the other pole. So <laughs> it used to be called manic depression, and they got away from that because that was stigmatizing. So now it's bipolar. It's it's the same thing. Um but well, I, where, I, words I, matter. I wear it. it how does. we how we describe it matters. It does, and I remember it's, it, what goes around comes around because I remember, and I was a college student, and I went to MKC Pharmacy School, and we went over. A buddy of mine went over for the Dodgers and Cardinals, and you know that was the season of 1985. <laughs> and John Tudor was really really hot. Uh, he had he just pitched great, and and he was going up against Valenzuela or, or Hershiser or somebody. And so it was a big-time pitching matchup. On a I think that was Valenzuela. Yeah, it was 1985, and it was the 4th of July, and wisdom teeth were coming in. You know, impacted wisdom teeth were coming in. I was just miserable. But I, I do remember that day very, very closely because the VP fair, the Veiled Profit Fair, and maybe that's still going on, but it's a big, big deal. There's a million people that go to that thing. So like you saw in 19 – uh, or excuse me, 2015, when the Royals won it down at Union Station, that happened every 4th of July, that size of crowd and bigger, maybe even twice as big. I don't know how many people were down there. But it's a huge fireworks celebration, and there's all these tents and festivals and things, and one of them was uh, the St. Louis Manic Depressive Society. And we're college kids, and we're not, you know, we weren't sensitive to anything right. back then. And we were drinking beer, and we are thinking, well, that's funny. And I remember taking a picture of that. Well, I had it. I had it then. I didn't know it. So you ask, is it a new thing or an old thing? Well, it's an old thing, but it manifested itself as full mania in 2000, or excuse me, yeah, 2016 on my 54th birthday. And the reason why it manifested that late was I was put on the wrong medication and I was misprescribed. The, the reason I went to an internist and he prescribed me, that was when HMOs had started. And he was the gatekeeper. And if he didn't feel confident in diagnosis, he would say, you need to see a psychiatrist. And then I could have seen a psychiatrist and would have been covered. But if I went to a specialist right away, right. I'm paying, you know, 1000 bucks an hour or whatever, and then it may take forever to get in. I mean, those guys, are there aren't very many of them, and guys and women both. But there aren't very many of them, so that would have been a financial real difficulty for me so were you I, were you still in the pharmacy business at this point i was a student uh and but but i got diagnosed in 94 yeah so i was a student when i took the picture and right. found it funny but yeah in, in 94 i was working in poison control at the time and so he put me on an antidepressant and so i lived i thought i'd kick depression's butt for what 22 years and i actually took i moved over here to uh kansas city um, after I'd spent some time, that was in St. Louis at Poison Control. And so I moved over here to Kansas City, and uh, the prescription came with me. My medical history came with me. And then the, the uh, internist that I was seeing kept adding antidepressants because I had anxiety. Well, she gave me an antidepressant for that. And the psychiatrist later told me, well, there's one study that shows this thing works for anxiety. There's a 1,000 that say it does not. She focused on the one. And so he said that was a mistake. And then they put me on an antidepressant for sleep. So I was on three antidepressants. So basically, I was on three stimulants, and I'm bipolar. You don't need to. That's the worst, the single worst thing you can do, other than misdiagnosing, is misprescribing and putting people on three antidepressants. I was on speed, basically. And here I am. And so that's why I went full manic. So, so. In 2016 is when you 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 had an episode, and and I and I I'm really not even sure how to how to state this and ask it. So so bear with me, and if I'm wrong, correct me. I will. I'm I'm always wrong. <laughs> um, you you have this episode in 2016, and that is when you you realize that you need to. You need to see somebody. Absolutely. Could, could you Absolutely. could you do that on your own, or did somebody have to take you? I mean, I, I <laughs> and like I said, I have no, 
I have no background okay. in this, and I, I have do. no I have I no frame of reference okay. to even give you real empathy, right? Right. So I'm 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 trying to understand what that what that was like in that in that moment because I feel like the way I have seen those episodes described, the way I've heard them described, I feel like it would be very hard to actually have the self awareness to know I need to get to somewhere. Well, that's what it is, and because I'm medically trained, I mean, the first two years of pharmacy school when I went to UMKC were with the medical students, so we had half of a medical degree you might say, and then we spun off from there and went more toward pharmacy, obviously. So in my training, and I worked for Truman Lakewood and some other places that had mental health wards, so I knew about bipolar disorder, but it's really hard, first of all, I'm not a psychiatrist, number one. Number two, I mean, my medical doctor, my internist couldn't tell, so I don't feel bad for not diagnosing myself. Right. I, you know, I, I mean, the internist has more training. Well, you shouldn't have to. You shouldn't have to have that kind of pressure that you have to diagnose yourself. Exactly. And here's here's the problem, Nick. Even as a pharmacist, because I beat myself up because after I went manic, and he took me off all those antidepressants, all those depressants. Yeah. Well, <laughs> medications for depression. I I swung back to the other pole and I got suicidal. Now, that was after I was in treatment, so I was able to, you know, contact them, and I called the suicide hotline. That's a cause I've, I, I really believe in, and this is one of the reasons I'm talking about this. I wear this as a badge of honor because I'm one of the ones that came out the other direction. I'm in a very, very good place in my life, and I'm going to write a book called Connect the Dots, and it shows all the great things that happened to me just almost on a daily basis, all the bad things that happened to me, but if none of those dots were there, I wouldn't be where I am today which is a good, good, good place. So that's how I'm going to give back and maybe uh, help others. Um, so uh, before we go on, so we're talking here in a matter of two to four weeks. Mm-hmm. You've hit both extremes, both polar extremes. It was about four weeks, yeah. Is and that, got, is that su- suicidal twice. Yeah. Is that, um, I don't know if the right word here, is, is, that, a, is that a common way that... It, it manifests. manifests itself is that I mean, and I don't want to. Yes, I don't want to try to. No, it's all put stereotypes in in, in no. things, and I. But but I but I'm trying to figure is that is that kind of how it happens? It it is, uh, and there's there's a different there. It's different for everybody in certain extents. Some people can go manic, or it's called hypomanic. Five is the neutral point, so that's neurotypical people. So if you don't have bipolar disorder. You're, you're spending most of your days, and you have mood swings, but they go between four, a little sad, to six. Now, sadness and depression are not the same thing. Depression has physical uh, physical symptoms. I mean, when I got bad and got down to zero, you cannot get out of bed. It's not because there's no desire to get out of bed. You actually feel worse about yourself because it's three in the afternoon. You can't get out of bed. But for me, anyway, my thighs, each one, felt like it weighed 400 pounds. It took me three trips or four trips to the restroom before I could brush my teeth. I made it like two steps and got weak and just crashed back down on the bed for half an hour. It took me two hours and four trips to brush my teeth. And it's the sixth leading disability cause in the entire planet. And that's why you either are so depressed you can't show up for work or you're so manic that you get fired. And I did have an, uh, it was basically I quit, but I would have been fired had I not quit because I was a fantastic pharmacist. But when you're manic like that, you're a lousy employee. You're hypercritical about everybody, not just your boss, but everybody. And the boss did nothing wrong. We're on great terms now. She says, you ever need a job reference and going back to pharmacy? And I'm like, ugh. <laughs> if I ever have to go back to pharmacy, you know, I'm not going to be in this good place I am now. But so, but we're on a great relationship now. And at the time, it was terrible. I mean, it was it's as bad as it could be. And so, what's that like to be aware of that now? And so, kind of with that, with that little bit of a hindsight, to be like, I was in this place that made me a horrible. Because look, nobody wants to lose a job, right? Yeah. So, and that is a horrible, horrible place. And we all we all want it to be somebody else's fault. And now you're looking back when you're three, four years later now. Sooner and than you, that. And you realize, yeah. oh. Yeah. Well, oh. That, that gets back to the question you asked me, did I seek help voluntarily? And I did. But it was sort of voluntarily. Um, I actually had some legal trouble 
then. It was a municipal ordinance. Ordinance. It wasn't wasn't a huge deal. I mean, it's it's on the level of littering and disturbing the peace, right? It's that kind of thing. Yeah. It's not even it's not even a uh, misdemeanor. Um, misdemeanor is a county based charge, and you and you go to court. And I chose to go to court to fight this because I just knew I was right. <laughs> well, afterwards I was going, you know what? I am wrong because I was I was guilty in court. And they and the prosecutor says. Well, we want incarceration. Of course, they always push for the maximum. Right. They think, you know, and then my client or my attorney says, well, this is his first offense, and uh, he has a pristine record. And, you know, at the time, I had a perfect 850 credit score. And But, but the prosecutor called me a narcissist. And back in 1981, when I graduated high school, I was a finalist, one of 100 in the United States for Mr. USA Teen, and that's for community service academics and athletics and that thing doesn't even exist anymore it was a sort of a beauty pageant kind of thing we had a, we had a, you know that's in the era of short shorts too we had a little dance number i god it's, i'm glad that film is not is it uh, look now by the way i am currently searching google right now. <laughs> <laughs> but when i when i looked at myself and i did this little bit of self-diagnosis because i I thought, I wonder if I'm bipolar, and I, I, there's 11 symptoms, Nick, and I checked nine boxes, and I thought back to things in the past, and since that was so recent, it said one of the 11 was gets into legal trouble sometime, you know, for the very first time, loses a job sometime, you know, and that was basically the first time. So I'm looking at all these, and I'm going, I've got nine of the 11, and there's something wrong with me. There's no reason I should be, you know, somebody that's community service should be seen as a narcissist by anybody. And that, that still brings me to tears that I was in that kind of condition. And so I thought, I need help. And so I went to Rediscover, and they saved my life. I have gotten to know some of the people at Rediscover, and I think there's one of the, that is one of the best organizations it's fantastic in our, in our in our area once i get some money they're going to get <laughs> and when i die they're going to get a big chunk of whatever i have let's put it that way so uh, you 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 are going through all of this and you are you come to terms to leave your job yes <laughs> and 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 i'm i'm struck a little bit by 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 you say you you now wear this as a badge of honor i do um, that you have, is that because of an acknowledgement that you made to yourself? Is that because you've moved past a certain point? Is that, is it a conglomeration well, of, of all of those things? It is a, it is an amalgamation. Of, that's the word. Yeah, Thank you. Yes. And, uh, Dang it, I hate it when I get them wrong. Well, that's all right. Um, that's the science part of me. Yeah. You know, I know what well, I usually get the words right. That's kind of, I like yeah. to have that part. And, but. and I've got two dentists in my family, right? So they know all about I'm, amalgams. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> we're proud of them so that's all that matters right i just don't ever want to see them in that capacity <laughs> i um, always think of steve steve martin from little shop of horrors when i hear dentist so i never saw that one. Uh. I, I, I saw the jerk and that uh you know that's kind of where i was even and with the depression say this is all i need i need, I need this lamp you know, and, and, and this roll of toilet paper, it's all I need. Um, yeah, so Just don't I, shoot I, the oil cans. I have really, yeah, right. I have, oh, very good. I have, uh, and I do have a very strong fondness for movies, and the one thing I always wanted to do was screenwrite, and I've got some, I think, some great screenwriting ideas. So I've always had that side of the brain, the creative brain, and bipolar disorder people, by and large, are extremely creative. Just because you're creative doesn't mean you're bipolar. Just because you're bipolar doesn't mean you're creative, but the tendency is there. I mean, we, I dream in color. I, that's supposedly rare, but I've never dreamed any other way, and I always thought, well, that's strange. It, most people apparently dream in black and white. Hmm, never but heard I, that. But I dream in color. Do you? What, what color do you dream in? I, I, I think it's color. Yeah. I mean, they always seem real to me. Mine's vivid color. Right? I've never, I've never heard of that. I've never heard that where, where that it's yeah. common for people to dream in black and That's, white. I mean, a psychiatrist out there. I mean, we're not doing this live, but they'd be calling in right now, saying, "Well, Bill, you're, you're off your rocker." I don't know. There's a reason I don't do this live because you know <laughs> I step out on that edge a lot and ask these questions, and and you know, and I like I said, look, I'm not an expert, but but I'm curious. And exactly. so that's and that's why I kind of want to I want to do these and I feel like even though we didn't plan to go down this road and talk about this topic I feel like we didn't plan any topics um, from what I've <laughs> from what I've learned yeah is we just have to talk about it and if we just put these things out there it can help remove those stigmas and so I want to go back to kind of your 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 process of where you were 
as you're, you know, well, you, you decided you need help. You went and got help. Yes. I, as a pharmacist, I felt humiliated that I didn't see this. And then I was like, you know what? This, is, this, seems- is your, this is your depressed brain talking because it's, A, people shouldn't have to diagnose themselves at first. And I knew I was bipolar. I just saw all those symptoms that I thought back in my life. And I was like, yep, that explains this and that. One of the big signs, it's really more signs than symptoms. Um, one of them is inability to keep a relationship. And I'm a heterosexual. I've always been. A buddy of mine likes to say I'm a flaming heterosexual. <laughs> uh, and so I kind of like that term. But my family has always wondered. I've never been married, never been in a long-term relationship. And they're like, is he gay? In fact, I'm doing this, these two movie, or excuse me, film productions here at Bridgespace on the 30th. And I, I'm trying to bring family and friends because we want you know a lot of f- friendly faces in the crowd. And there's 120 seats, and we're trying to stack every seat with people that we know. So I invited my extended family from my dad's side and just called one of my cousins who's kind of the, the linchpin or the gatekeeper for the entire family and said, call me back. I've got some really exciting good news. It all came kind of sudden, but I want you all here. It's my big day. It's, it's my equivalent to a wedding day. So she calls me back the next day, and I said, are you even the slightest bit curious? And she said, eh, sort of. I think I got it figured out. Well, of course, now I've got to ask her, <laughs> right? And she says, you're moving in with a man. I said, no. <laughs> no, not you know, not there's anything wrong with that. You know, we'll go back to Seinfeld. But I said, no, that's not it at all. And then I told her about this. But that long-term relationships is a problem for bipolar people, and here's why. You're either depressed or you're manic. Right. You're very, very seldom in the middle. And well, so, and sometimes uh, I wonder if those questions and those kind of wink, wink, nudge, nudge questions uh-huh. about gender and sexuality are really because we're trying to avoid the real discussion, which is well, you have some men- you have you have a mental health issue to deal with, and so yeah. are we coming up with these other things because we're more comfortable talking about? It's things. much easier for yeah. for us to 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 talk behind your back or to wonder, oh, maybe it's just because he's gay. Yeah. And instead of instead of let's actually confront that there's a real issue. Right. Right. Because gay's not an issue. No, we've gotten past that. Right. You know, and that's, right. and it that's, took us that's way too long. But but as a society, yeah. society, we're finally getting past that a little bit. Not totally. Not, not in Missouri. Yeah. Legally, not Missouri. <laughs> but, but. but but instead of having the real conversation, which is that for your life, you've struggled. And you may not have even known you were struggling the whole time. Nick, I lived, I lived what, 22 years under the illusion of wellness. Those are 22 years I'll never get back. And most people are diagnosed at the age of 18, sometimes even as early as 16. I had it when I was 18. I look back now because that was my first year of college. I said I had it then. And I went to law school, uh, one of the best law schools in the world, one of the most expensive law schools in the world. I'd left because I was studying for, and this part's true. I was studying for the, the boards for pharmacy school in the first year of law school, which was, that's way too much. I took on way too much. Why? Grandiosity. <laughs> that's a sign of bipolar disorder. Wow. Okay. Yeah, so this is one of the best law schools in the world telling me if you're not in a relationship, don't get in one. If you do not work, full, your law school first year is a full-time job, especially at Washington University in St. Louis. And tuition there now is probably seventy seventy five thousand dollars a year. When I went there in nineteen eighty five, it was eighty eight hundred either a semester or a year. I don't remember exactly, but I was distracted. That's another sign of bipolar disorder. I was I had grandiosity, another big sign. There's about eleven of them, like I said. And grandiosity is, they told me I'd be academically challenged in pharmacy school. I got out with almost a four zero, not quite, almost. And I thought, ah, they, they always say that. Well, law school is different. Law school, I mean, in a lot of ways. But I have always thing, been told law school is about weeding people out. It is. That first year. It is. And I weeded myself out, really, because I thought, well, you know, the meter's running. I'm not so sure I want to do this. It was a really bad economy then. Reagan's, uh, I mean, it had gotten better. But there were way too many attorneys. There were too many ambulance chasers. And I was like, I really don't want to do that. I, I had the aptitude, Nick. Uh one of the first professors said, you know, some of you will make excellent judges. I'm a pretty fair person. I think I would have been an excellent judge. But A, I was too distracted. Check that box for bipolar disorder. Uh, B, I was too grandiose. 
I can do this. I'm Superman. By the way, the Cardinals and Royals were playing. <laughs> so my college, you know, I watched, I don't know, probably 10 games a year, if not more, when I was in college for the four years I was there. Back then it was a four-year degree. We did five academic years and four. And so I thought, well, you know, there were, I, there were trimesters basically where I'm taking 20 hours of classes essentially because it was compressed into a shorter period of time. So it, it was called 16 hours, but we were in class a lot for that last couple of years. You know, we had no breaks. So I thought I could do I thought I was Superman. I could do everything. Check that box. So there's a, about 11 symptoms, and I look back at the times, and I was like, you know what? All those things were true. Yes, I was studying for boards, and yes, I wasn't sure if I wanted to do it. And yes, the Cardinals and Royals were in the World Series about the time I made the decision to, you know, to get out of it. But the real reason was I had bipolar disorder. And that the one real regret in my life is I don't know that I would have been a lawyer or a judge, but I would have liked the education. And I was there long enough to learn how lawyers think. I mean, I, I did pick that up. So I, I did get that skill for my, I think I paid 2200 as it turned out because I got out pretty early. So I kind of like that it was a, it was a, 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 a little bit long description of how you feel now that you're able to look back at these things yes. and, and your perspective now as you do it. And so, so here's the, here's the thing. So all of a sudden then you decide, well, I'm not going to go back to pharmaceuticals, not going into that. And you shift into, I'm going to go meet people. I'm going to go, I'm going to walk into 25 businesses a day, maybe 40 businesses a day and have conversations with people and then try to convince them that I'm the one that can help them get better. Up until I was. And so that's a, that's a big switch. Yes. And it's been an enlightening switch. And that's why I love talking about this now. I get emotional about it. I've gotten emotional about it here a little bit, but. Uh, it's enlightening for me, and that's how I can help people. Is, is people that are on that really, really super depressed pole, uh, help them see the light at the end of the tunnel, and don't pull that trigger. Don't take that overdose. Call somebody, get the help. It will get better. It can't get worse, and that's the problem when you get suicidal. Every minute of every day, or every minute of every hour of every day, is worse than the one before it, and you get to the point where you just can't stand it anymore. But rediscover saved my life, so I'm 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 very proud of it. I do get emotional about it, but I'm very proud of it. Well, I I think that is something to 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 be proud of, and I think that's a that is a fantastic way. I think to to do a, one small part of removing some stigmas, so that yeah. so that uh, someone else can talk about it, and somebody else can maybe have their own self awareness to say I. I need to make a phone call, or even, and we've heard, I've heard this too, as I've had some of these conversations around the community, even for somebody who's on the outside and and can see their friend is struggling, and that it's okay to make that call for their friend. Yeah, and that it's okay to say, "Hey, my friend, you can talk to me." I got to the point, Nick, where um, I, I was on the with the suicide helpline and the crisis line, and they're very good. If you're at that point, call them. They're very good. They will w- walk you off the ledge. Um, and so I, right now I'm, I'm really focusing on the benefits of this. I, I've got a very self-deprecating wit, and I tell people that, and I say, look at me. I've got a lot of material to work with. Right? <laughs> I'm bald. I'm a little bit overweight. I used to be a lot overweight. Uh, I've got a gray beard. So, yeah, I've, I, can, I can pull out jokes about myself all day and night. So I, I've never had a stigma really about anything. I'm comfortable in my own skin. Has that, has that changed over the last three to five years as you've gone through this transformation? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I thought I thought when I went full manic, it was an issue with my brother, and uh, I thought it was the worst thing to ever happen to me. Now it's the best. I mean, I look back at it, and I go, you know, if I hadn't, if I hadn't gone full manic, if I hadn't had this little bit of legal trouble, if I hadn't checked myself into rediscover, I'd still be in that place, you know, under the illusion of wellness and, still, and be losing time. Now I feel like I've got a new birth. And it's it's all about promise. I, I really like the uh, the analogy that you're creating um, that that you have gotten past an illusion of wellness. Yes, I, I, I like that, and I think that's something that that probably all of us at some point have to see past. Yeah, and and realize that there are there are there are some things we've got to deal with, and yeah. there are things that create make us who we are. Yeah, the tears, by the way, that, that I'm shedding now are not tears of sadness it's it's of joy really because i think about how far i've come <laughs> you know that's 
that's fantastic, and I and I and I really I I, I really am in awe a little bit that um we've gone here today and that you're talking about this and that you've been through these things yeah and you realize that it was something that you had your whole life that was shaping who you are and now you can say I've recognized it I'm moving on it's a process and 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 you're you're proud of what it is it and because I've always wanted to write screenplays and I've got I've got a file Nick of, of 30 or 40 ones that I think that are really good some are some are very funny sort of uh, streams of consciousness like a Mel Brooks type of thing or a Monty Python Animal House that kind of stuff um, all the way up to you know history but Dred Scott's one of my favorite topics um, he really changed everything. That case, Dred Scott mm-hmm. versus uh, versus I forget Ferguson or somebody I remember yes. who it was, but it was a uh, it was a case where he was uh, you know he was a slave in Missouri, but went north to Wisconsin, and that was the case that really brought on the Civil War, that ended slavery, that that brought in bleeding Kansas, and, and you know I really love that topic too. I think that needs to be explored more in film because people aren't aware the Civil War started right here. I just ten, ten year or eight six eight years before it started officially at Fort Sumter. I just this summer um, visited the Civil Rights Museum in Memphis for the first time, mm-hmm. and it was an incredible experience. That is a national treasure. Mm-hmm. Um, I tell everyone you have to get there. Find the time, find the way, and get there. My wife and I went. Uh, it took us about four and a half hours. It could have taken longer. Uh, the very last part of it, we actually left quickly because we simply could not take in anymore. Right, you need probably we, two we, or three days. We hit, like we hit a point where mentally, emotionally, I could not take oh. more information. Yeah, I just, I just couldn't do it. And then we spent two hours trying to find a way to talk about it and struggling. Oh, I mean, great. just because it was so that's great, so emotional, so much information. And you think when you go there that it's because it's at the Lorraine Hotel, right? Yeah, I was just so going to ask you that. You think yeah. that it's mostly going to be about Martin Luther King, which you could spend an entire day learning about his story. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not. It is our nation's history yeah. from the context of civil rights. Of of the history of, from slavery on, and you learn so so much, and 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 honestly, we each had different points where we kind of were like, okay, I'm I'm not going to go much longer, right? For me, uh, there is kind of a recreation of the the Selma Bridge, yes, and it's about probably I'm going to say maybe like a quarter of the bridge that's recreated, and so you're walking the bridge as you're seeing all these fantastic displays. fantastic movies, yeah. And at that point, I, I was when I really paused, and and I had to, I had to will myself to keep taking more information in because it's just, it just it's really it really is kind of an emotional experience. And, and honestly, I'm going to tell you this too: even our community has had a, some hard conversations here in Lee Summit about race, and about diversity Re- in the last recently recently yes. yeah in the last in the last eighteen months. It was interesting to me. As we walked through, and, and, and you know, you're basically doing a timeline, right? You're walking through a, a timeline to see some of the language that has been used over the course of our country and to realize that oh some my. of that language is still being used today. Is that language as, in the museum? Uh, yeah, as reasons, as reasons not to have the conversation or reasons to justify yeah. actions. And and so it was interesting to me, and I actually snapped a few pictures of, the, of some of those displays on my phone because I was like, I just heard somebody use this exact same phrase. You know, these same yeah. words were being used. It was just, it was an incredible experience, and I will tell you that for four and a half hours, we, the two of us, might have said ten words to each other. Mm. It was you mostly know what I silence. Feel, what I feel sensitive about in particular is the way we treated the Native Americans, we, mm-hmm. we as white people, and I say I'm actually some of both, and a lot of us in this area are have, have some, yeah. Um, so that's a particular issue. I, and I, I'd like to listen to history books at night on audible and that's, well, basically I fall asleep to them. And then the next night I back it up to where I'm, you know, I last remembered I was. So that way a 40 hour book takes me about <laughs> six months to listen to. Right. 
And uh, so I, I do recommend Audible if you've never listened to it. It's 15 bucks a month, and you get one free book, and I never have to buy any, really. It's it's fantastic. But I, so I listened to a lot of that about the Trail of Tears and, and some of the ways, I mean, the Lakotas we treated so badly. We put them on a, on, in, some, in the Badlands, basically, areas that <laughs> – it's a starvation camp. If you visit the, the Dakotas and the Mount Rushmore areas, there's a lot of great history about the the, the relationships between mm-hmm. between our our expansion and, and the Lakota tribes. And they, the book I'm listening to now, it's about the Gilded Age, and it's a, you know a lot of that had to do with the Indian Wars. It was called Indian mm-hmm. Wars back then. And so you know a lot of those tribes up north fled into Canada. Canada said basically it was a, an issue of Canada's like, you know, we don't have the resources to hand, you know, to take care of you folks. You have to go back to the United States. So they blocked entry from Canada into the United States, and the United States said, we don't want them either. So it was kind of like almost like the Syrian refugee issue right. a few years ago. Um, and maybe that's still going on. I don't, I don't really know. I'm not sensitive to that one. But the museum, I really, what really struck me when you're talking about the Civil Rights Museum is there was a Holocaust museum. It might be even in the same building where the sixth floor museum is, where Kennedy was killed. It's around the back, I believe, of that, and it's the Holocaust Museum set up by a Dallas Holocaust survivor. And there are pillars when you go in there that are striking, and you're like, what is that? Well, once you go over and read about them, the first pillar is 1942, and each pillar, by its height, is how many millions of Jews were killed. Wow. Or how many millions of people in concentration camps. Right, right. And so the first one is maybe a foot high, foot and a half high. 1943, it's five, five feet high. 1944 and 45, it's like 11 or 12 feet high. Wow. It's just ridiculous. And you'd look at that, and you just cannot help but be moved. And, and that's the first thing you see. And then it's a circular museum. So as you come out, it's also the last thing you see. And it's the same kind of thing. You get to the point where you go, I just can't take it anymore. Right, right. I just cannot take it anymore. Uh, a woman, they showed some of the things people made to... Um, survive in the concentration camps. A woman had a pair of shoes made out of human hair. Huh. Wow. Well, we could, um, I think you and I both have a love of history and we could talk about our museum experiences. We probably have our favorites that we we have been to. Um, But I would would be remiss if I didn't talk a little bit about some of the things you're doing. You've got some cool stuff. Um, You you are working on starting your own podcast that goes with your your marketing business. What I really want to get to, though, is you're a little nerdy, and I kind of like it. <laughs> but you have a Star Wars themed event coming up. It's going to be here at Bridge Space, where yes. where where we're talking right now. Um, tell me a little bit about this this event coming up because it's it's only a few weeks away, and yes. and I don't know how tickets are going to be around if it's going to be available for people. But I want to give you a chance to talk a little bit about this because there are lots of us nerdy types out yeah. there. Well, we're, we're, it's an event not just for nerdy types. It's also an event for people that love humor and love to look at gorgeous people, uh, like myself, of course. But No, we've got professional it's, it's models. Me, we've it's me, Bill. It's me, Bill. They all <laughs> want to see me. You've got tickets, don't you? Yeah, I do. All right. So we're going to uh, we're gonna actually have professional models there, too. They're going to be part of the, the team. So if you like to look at gorgeous people and you like to look at people in costumes, it is a costume party because the day before Halloween, it's a red carpet event. We'll be opening the doors from 6 to 7 for red carpet photos. Um, you can come to the cocktail reception, uh, champagne and cocktails. Don't need a ticket for that. That's on us. Um, it, it, they do require to have a ticket if you want to see the filming. The filming takes place on a closed set here at Bridge Space from 7 to 10, and we're going to record two television shows. Yeah, so tell us a little bit about about the show itself and kind of what yeah. you're what you're trying to do. Well, this stems from a bipolar moment, and, <laughs> and two people that have have this. We've got a theme today. Yeah, two people that have this are Stephen King and J.K. Rowling. So everybody knows Stephen King's books and Harry Potter books, right? A book comes to them, and I've heard this them describe this as this way: the book comes to them in a lightning strike, and all they've got to do is write it down. Now, for her, the entire Harry Potter series came to her in a lightning strike of just—it's almost like a divine revelation, and that's what happened to me with this. This show, I decided we need to do this show on September fifteenth, and here we are, forty-five days later, filming it with professional models, makeup artists, photographers, videographers. Uh, caterers, you name it. All that's been put together, and we're ready to film. We could film it now, 
if we could assemble everybody at the right time. But I gave away 100 tickets on the first day. There's 20 left. They're probably earmarked for family, so they may not be available at all at this point. Uh, you can go to Fanboy Toys. That's my partner in this. He has the one of only two Star Wars-only vintage and memorabilia collectible shops in the United States. So he sells nothing but Star Wars memorabilia. Not toys. Fanboy Toys is a little bit of a misnomer. If you can get it in Walmart, he doesn't want it. Why would he want to compete with Walmart? Right, right. right. So if, if it's not in production anymore, it's considered vintage. And so the second of our shows is an appraisal show. If you're a true nerd, bring the stuff you had when you were a kid. He'll tell you what it's worth. The first show is more of a guest type of thing. So, so is that second thing. show is kind of like an antiques road show, but for, for Star Wars it memorabilia. Is. It is. And my intellectual property attorney said, I didn't want to be sued by Disney or anybody else. So I went there to say, are we free to do this? She says, Bill, it's already being done. It's antiques road show. She said, Disney should love you for it. They might even advertise it. <laughs> That's awesome. Because so, these, these will be on YouTube, by the way. Each one's one hour. So what is what is then your first show? What is the, what is that going to be? Is it a panel discussion? Is it? It's basically a talk show, yeah. But talk shows... Uh, on YouTube are boring. So my, <laughs> my job is to make it not boring. I promise if you make it or if you watch it on YouTube, and we're actually going to put the first one on there probably in the middle of November because the movie's coming out. Star Wars movie's coming out on the 20th of uh, December. So what are you going to be talking about in this in this talk show? Well, that there they'll be talking about more of three or four specific items and general themes, how to spot a counterfeit, how to tell the difference between a 1978 original Millennium Falcon from a 1997 reissued Legacy series, those kinds of things. And he just goes into amazing detail. So if you're at all interested in either the show or Star Wars, I would go to Fanboy Toys. He's behind Popeyes on Highway 7, and he is a money mailer advertiser. And here's the cool thing about how this lightning strike occurred to me. He was a guest of mine in the booth at the Blue Springs Fall Fun Festival. And the very first Money Mailer podcast we did, by the way, was Bill Fickle, chairman of the, of the Fall Fun Festival. So I got a free booth for advertising. And I was like, who's going to come over and see an advertiser, right? So I was raffling away Chiefs tickets, but still people wouldn't come over. So I invited him ahead of time. We rearranged this. And so I said, bring some figurines, bring some lightsabers. And so we were lightsaber fighting the kids at night looked pretty cool that's awesome and and that was a lot of fun and i was doing the voice of darth vader and i was saying young nathan is going to challenge me you know and there in the whole i did that whole thing to the parents while they were recording this you know so their child had like a 30 second lightsaber duel and of course they always won not right. because i let him because i wasn't any good <laughs> <laughs> and so i watched how uh, sean is his name for the stage of, uh, for the purposes of our show his stage name will be chris um, and if you see the show you'll know why but i watched how he educated somebody specifically about a 1979 millennium falcon versus a 97 legacy series and i thought he loves to do that you could tell he was passionate about it he loves educating people and he also gave up a high-paying job to do what his passion is he was making one hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year uh, working for some auto diagnostic company, and he was a teacher, basically. Went all over the country telling people how to use this diagnostic computer equipment. So he gave it up, and he's, he's not paid himself like me with money. Man, I don't pay myself. I pay myself mileage. But I watched how he educated people, and I thought, there's got to be a way to take this to millions or hundreds of millions of people. Well, it's called the WWW World Wide <laughs> Web for a reason, right? And YouTube will reach them, and it's it's not very expensive to put it out there. I mean, I think this whole production is going to cost us each $5,000. But on the business side of things, the potential, um, if it takes off, is massive. And for a $5,000 ante, that's not too bad. And it's going to be a lot of fun, right? Oh, it's going to be a blast. <laughs> it's going to be a blast. We're doing it all in one take. We're counting our errors. I've got buzzers and, and all these goofy sounds. And I'm going to be in costumes. So if the kid, I will never reveal my face on the show. Uh, I'm revealing it here. So, so everybody on this podcast that's listening to the podcast today, yeah, they've got to swear themselves to secrecy. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Well, I don't think this is going to be seen by hundreds of millions of people like maybe our show will be. That's my hope anyway. No. But, but it is a costume I party. like my numbers, but they're not that high. <laughs> so, yeah, it, you don't have to come in costume, but it can be real easy. So I was at my bank the other day, and I said, come. And, and as she likes to play tennis. I said, come as a tennis player. And that's easy for you. You've already got it. Right. Just come as a tennis player. Come as a golfer. Put a golf club over your shoulder. Wear a little golf visor. 
and and maybe some really loud, awful pants or something, and there you go, you're a golfer. <laughs> well, I'm gonna uh, you, you you gave me something a little bit that I think is a perfect way for us to to wrap this up. You said you're gonna do this in one take. Yes. And you're gonna count the mistakes. You're gonna make that yes. part of make yes. that part of the show. So. That's a great kind of full circle, I think, from what we what we started about, where it is about owning who you are and making it a part of your life, and that that is really cool. Bill, I want to thank you for for sitting down with me. I know I asked you kind of a last minute deal yesterday to to, to do the show, but um, and and I said we were going to talk about your your business and, yeah, and, and who we you were, and we <laughs> didn't. And, and and so look, I want to I really want to thank you for 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 going somewhere we didn't plan. But going for some, going somewhere that was very personal, and and for helping erase some stigmas and putting your story out there because that's that's a that's a big big well, that's, deal. That's the bigger story here, and I'm glad we went that direction. And thanks, thank you for having me. It is the sixth leading cause of disability worldwide. People, if you don't have it, you know somebody who does. You may not know it, they may not know it, but if they've got, check out the symptoms. Just go to Wikipedia; they're correct. Just check out the symptoms and say, do they talk a lot? Do they talk fast? Do they put on weight? Do they lose weight? Um, there's, there's so many simple things to see. Are, can they never keep a relationship? Um, do they drink to excess? I even checked that box. I didn't drink often, but when I wasn't, when I wasn't uh, needing to drive or wake up early in the morning and go to work, it, basically it was on vacations, and I would get obnoxiously drunk and lose an entire day of a vacation nursing a hangover that I'd spent some money on, you know, to go to Cleveland for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. We were there for three, two days, and I missed an entire day at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame because I was nursing a hangover. And, and that's the worst because when you get to that stage when you're, when you're depressed and you're nursing a hangover, you self-loathe, and it's horrible. So thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. I think this is really the bigger, more important topic than my business. Well, I appreciate it, Bill, and uh, we will we will make sure that we we both push this out to as many people as we can yeah. because uh, we just we got to keep talking about it, man. We do. Thank you for having me, Bill. Thank you, and we will talk to everybody next week. You have been listening to Lee Summit Town Hall, a link to Lee Summit podcast with hosts Nick Parker and Jason Norberry. A proud member of the Fredcast Network, you can subscribe to this podcast on most of your favorite podcast apps and catch us every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday for all the news, analysis, and conversations on the Lee Summit community. Connect with us on Facebook at Link to Lee Summit or on Twitter at LS Town Hall.